Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas, and regular listeners to the show will know that I'm going through a new year decluttering, trying to get rid of attitudes and habits that distract me or slow me down in my walk with Jesus. I'm also trying to declutter some of our kitchen drawers at home, but that's a really massive project. Last week, I talked about getting rid of bitterness and walking in forgiveness. And tonight, I want to talk about an approach to life that can damage our faith, sour our relationships, and spoil our joy. I'm talking about cynicism. When I became a Christian, faith and church was entirely new to me, and I was a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed convert. Not sure where we get that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed phrase. have no clue what it means. But like for us all, the years that have passed have brought some dashed hopes, some disappointing episodes, and yes, some bruises from other Christians. And the danger is that cynicism can creep into our lives. You know you're cynical when someone says how much they love and enjoy their local church, and you think, yeah, right, just stick around for a while, like I have, and you'll soon find out what those other Christians are really like. Or perhaps a friend tells you that God has answered a prayer, and you nod, smile, and then just think it's probably all down to coincidence. I want to be a realist, but I don't want toxic cynicism to spoil my soul. So stay tuned. Let's dig into this together. Here's for King and Country. We're reflecting about the curse of cynicism. We rightly fear it, this cancer of cynicism that so readily strikes the hopeful. The cynical heart is freezer cold, unable to be warmed by the God who really does come and work among his people. Cynicism takes the tender-hearted worshipper and turns them into an arms-folded spectator, a scowling analyst with a stopwatch and a clipboard under their arm, and a bless-me-if-you-dare expression on the face. If you question the power of cynicism, consider the Pharisees, who could watch and smell a fetid Lazarus as he staggered out of that stinking tomb. But then they rushed off to plot the death of the Jesus who presided over that resurrection. They saw with their eyes but cynicism blinded their hearts even to that starkest of miracles. Cynicism doesn't melt when the flames of revival ignite. On the contrary, it hardens in the heat. When God comes and does something, the Pharisees get more Pharisaic and the hopeful become more hopeful. Just check the gospel accounts. The cynic may smile a smug grin and feel that he or she is more mature than the rest of us naive simpletons, but they're in the grip of a disease and a delusion. There's only one cure for cynicism. We just need to repent of it. It's unbelief by another name. But then simplest thoughtless naivety is also waiting for us at the other extreme. Unquestioning, we just take on board every prophetic word, regardless of content or spirit. Someone comes along with a new revelation. They share it. And despite feeling an urgent sense of disquiet, we bury our concerns, not wanting to be perceived as critical or out of the flow. This silent pressure to conform can be very intense in an atmosphere of spiritual enthusiasm. It's like being carried along by a huge football crowd. Your shoulders are pinned tight your feet lifted off the ground, a hapless passenger of the consensus. We feel guilty for even considering the possibility that something might be wrong. Surely, if everyone else is going with it, they can't all be mistaken. It's a most extreme example, but the fact is that everybody was wrong the day they drank orange squash laced with cyanide at the infamous Jonestown. 
but a similar power of peer group pressure can bid us to silence our questions and our concerns. We don't want to line up with the critical people who rush to the publishers anytime God shows up. And we certainly don't like the Judas the traitor, Thomas the doubter feeling that rises up when we ask awkward questions. So we stay silent and worry quietly. So, is there a pathway between these two extremes, a so-called healthy scepticism? I believe that there is, and there's a biblical demand that we walk on that middle ground between cynicism and just naivety. As Paul wrote to his friends at Thessalonica, we are to test everything, hold on to the good. You read about it in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. This command comes immediately on the heels of Paul's warning that we should not put out the Spirit's fire or treat prophecies with contempt. So this testing is not seen as a negative doubting response to the work of God, but rather as a positive duty for those who would feel the heat of Holy Spirit flames and hear God's voice through the prophets. We create an environment where this testing can take place when we encourage people in our churches to ask questions, even difficult questions at times, in order to find clarity and authenticity. Whenever God moves, question marks are scattered all over the place. We also need to guard our attitude with our questions. Paul Reed says that churches are hindered by people who have an opinion about everything and a heart for nothing. What's the motive and the starting point for our questions? Do we inquire out of a desire to prove the badness of something or rather its goodness? Coming back to cynicism, it also flourishes when our expectations are unrealistic, a common problem among idealists like us. We all have unspoken expectations about the way things should be, and rightly so, but we can forget that those we walk with are flawed human beings just like us. If you've been in a church for more than six months and nothing about it and nobody in it has ever irritated you, then you're probably clinically dead. We do need to adjust our hopes into line with a realistic understanding of the frailty of the human nature. So, in wrapping this up, let's not be cynical Let's not be naive, but rather navigate life unafraid of questions and perhaps with healthy skepticism that brings us time and time again back to Scripture. If we are going to avoid cynicism, surely, as I mentioned earlier, we need to adjust our expectations. Call me sad if you like, but I used to be a big fan of that television series, The Darling Buds of May. Do you remember that? I'm not sure why I loved it so much. Was it the warm, winsome portrayal of balmy English days with sunshine on your back and lashings and lashings of cream on everything? Or even the more glorious vision of Catherine Zeta-Jones as the quintessential English rose? Perhaps it was the sight of Pop Larkin, played by David Jason, and his gathered family ending every day happily and relaxed as they surveyed the scene and declared it to be perfect as Pop Larkin described it, Larkin speak. The idea of perfect is rather appealing. And so I decided that my recent trip to the Caribbean was going to be the most perfect time. I've been invited to speak to a church that was located on an exotic, sun-drenched island. So I prayed about the invitation extensively, 2.3 seconds flat, and felt that the Lord was indeed asking me to respond to this difficult missional task. My wife, Kay, and I decided that we would combine this trip with some holiday time. This was going to be absolutely wonderful, bliss indeed, perfect. And it was. 
The people in the church were delightfully warm and welcoming, and the ardent was, to coin the phrase, absolutely fabulous. Almost. Not quite. It all started to go wrong the very first evening. Overwhelmed by the gorgeous sunset and delighted that our accommodation was actually on the beach, Kay and I decided to do the romantic thing and sit on the waterfront to watch the sun put his hat on for the day. I smiled at her as she perched uncomfortably on a rock. I stretched out on the beautiful white sand, unaware that at dusk, millions of tiny sand fleas, mostly invisible to the naked eye, appear to look for supper. The fleas lined up, dutifully said grace, and then started munching on my legs. I was completely unaware of their snacking. The next morning, I was covered with bites and my legs were swollen. Kay smiled at me as I dabbed them with ointment. Hmm, not quite so perfect. We decided to go on a submarine ride, which, since we didn't drown, we thought went rather well. But during the course of the ride, we learned all about the source of the gorgeous white sand on the impossibly beautiful beaches. A marine biologist advised us that the parrotfish bumps up against coral. They do it continuously, apparently, as a hobby. They ingest the tiny coral particles and then excrete the remains as sand. It seems that 40% of the sand on that island is produced by this rather dubious method. It took the romance out of sitting on those exotic beaches to know that I was in fact perched atop a huge mound of fish poo. Hmm. All of which proves once again that this side of eternity, there really is no such thing as perfection. We ponder glorious photos in holiday brochures or online, but when we arrive at the location, it seems that the place often doesn't look quite the same. The reality, without computer-generated photo enhancement, never looks as picture-perfect as the glosses suggest. More seriously, there are no perfect children, no perfect marriages, and for sure, absolutely no perfect churches. Why do some of us spend our lives on perfection safari, staying in a church or friendship or marriage just long enough to bump into the fish poop? and then move along, always mildly disgusted, ever disappointed, and never quite finding what we're looking for. The church is not a pristine, gleaming trophy case, but it's a filled hospital loaded with people in the renewal process. It's messy. There are no perfect leaders, no perfect church members. We're all a bunch of flawed human beings, most of us doing our best, staggering around and often missing the target rather than hitting the bullseye. So, if we're to avoid disappointment that leads to cynicism, let's lighten up, give others a bigger break and compromise a little. We did back on that island and we discovered that paradise doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. If we do that, we'll discover that even sitting on glorious white fish poo can be very nice indeed. Well, tonight we've been talking about decluttering our lives and getting rid of cynicism. Why don't we ask the Lord if a cynical attitude has quietly crept into our hearts? I've been thinking again about those scribes and Pharisees who followed Jesus around, constantly carping and criticizing him, ignoring or even condemning his miracles, blind to his glorious works. What was it that soured them? Some of it was jealousy. They hated that he was so popular. And of course, there was a sense of conviction because he confronted their empty legalistic religious practices. But surely cynicism was part of it as well. So let's ask that God gives us open, tender, 
not naive, but discerning and, yes, expectant hearts and move on from the shadowy, sad place of cynicism. See you next week when we're going to be talking about growing in our faith. Lucas on Life.